What's up, everybody? This is Tanner from TamanBaseballFan.com. In this episode, we'll be talking about if we are in the middle of the Junk Wax Era 2.0. Before we do that, I want you to do something for me. Uh, either now or at the end of the podcast, I want you to email me, TanManBaseballFan at gmail.com, or tweet me at TanManBBFan with a baseball card or uh, box or set or something uh, collectible that you're thankful for uh, in light of it being Thanksgiving. I think that'll be fun. Uh, it's very easy for us as collectors to really kind of go forward and only care about what we're uh, on the hunt for. So uh, do me a favor, tweet it to me or email it to me, uh, something that you're thankful for, uh, and give me a story behind it. I would love to hear it. Uh, I'll tell you mine uh, that comes uh, I mean look I'll tell you this I am very thankful super thankful for almost all the cards I have the one that kind of pops out to me is the uh, 2017 Leaf Q Jose Canseco one of one patch it's got the elephant patch it's beautiful it's like my favorite patch of his ever um, as far as cards go as far as regular size cards go so I'm uh, thankful for it because uh, actually, you know, number one, I picked it up. I think it was like a day or two before Thanksgiving while I was on vacation with my family to Legoland. And I was actually walking around in the, uh, the amusement park, uh, when I came across it. So yeah, that was, uh, I'm very, very thankful that I have that. And also something else I had inundated all the other Conseco super collectors with all kinds of other cards that that one didn't get picked up. So I didn't even have to try to buy it back or anything. So super thankful for it uh, coming to me in my collection and super duper thankful that it didn't leave my collection because if that one left, there's no way that would uh, come back to me. So now uh, going forward, let's talk about if we are in the junk wax era 2.0. And I thought this would be an interesting conversation topic uh, because every now and then I get this question. A lot of times they'll be like, uh, like literally I'll have this question like uh, uh, probably every other month or so. And it's been this way for like the past <laughs> four or five years because uh, people are just shocked with how much uh, product is out. So um, let me tell you, first of all, what the junk wax era is and why it's called the junk wax era. The junk wax era is typically gonna be from the mid 80s to the mid 90s. Uh, and if you were really to kind of whittle it down, uh, I would say that it was super focused in 88 to 92. Now, the reason why it's called that is because uh, there were so, so, so many cards of each single card that they produced uh, uh, put out. So in other words, you have, let's say you have 1988 Donruss, Tom Glavin rookie, okay? Uh, I mean, you know, look, he's, uh, I think he's a Hall of Famer now. And uh, when you think you have a Hall of Fame rookie card, that's gotta be something pretty special. I mean, before the Junk Wax era, that's how it was. If you uh, had a, a rookie card of any Hall of Famer, it'd be pretty big news. So with uh, 88 Honors, they probably made two, three or four million 
uh, of that one Tom Glavin card and of every card in that set. Uh, same with 88 Fleer, 88 Tops, 88 Score. Uh, there's just like basically way, way, way more produced than there were collectors out there. So that's why they call it the junk wax era because there's just uh, uh, way so much stuff, so much stuff out there um, that there's never really an opportunity for a lot of these cards to gain much value because there's always a boatload of them readily available, especially when the internet came in. The internet came in, uh, you, uh, before that, if you had like, let's say, you know, 10 1989 tops traded Ken Griffey Jr. rookie cards, uh, you'd think that was something pretty special. Uh, as a matter of fact, I remember grabbing like five of them, five 89 tops uh, Ken Griffey Jr. rookie cards, as well as five 89 score Ken Griffey Jr. rookie cards and the Albert Bell rookie cards from a gas station. Uh, back in the mid 90s, I didn't even know anything about, uh, uh, you know, really uh, um, the internet or how that would have anything to do with uh, with baseball card values. I just remembered uh, uh, going to the corner store saying, "This is weird. They have some 89 tops traded and 89 score uh, rookie and traded uh, cards. Let me see if they'll uh, sell me the Griffies and the Bells because I remember those being good." And sure enough, they did. And uh, you know, I kind of forgot about that story actually until now, uh, which is kind of funny. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, so yeah, I guess I did buy some cards uh, after I was really heavily collecting uh, between the time that I stopped collecting as a kid and started collecting as an adult. But uh, anyways, uh, it's all it's all fine and dandy when you think that you're hot stuff with your 589 Tops traded Ken Griffey Jr. rookie cards until you hop online and you realize there's about 1,200 other sellers out there with, uh, with the same card for sale in quantity. So you look at Beckett and you go, well, wait a second. Beckett says this is like a $7 card. Why is it that everybody's selling them for three? And if they're selling them for three, why is not, uh, why are they still there? <laughs> so that's kind of an interesting realization to come to. So I think that's probably uh, where the term junk wax comes from is that, uh, Unless the card is like really, really special, uh, you know, then it's just going to have a difficult time uh, having any sort of value to it. Now, of course, it's different whenever it comes to PSA graded cards, SGC, BGS graded cards. And I'll give you an example. Like the 1989 Upper Deck Ken Griffey Jr., uh, that's like the iconic uh, card for the you know, 80s because of a number of reasons. Number one, it's Griffey, of course. Uh, number two, it was the number one card for the 1989 Upper Deck set, which is Upper Deck's inaugural set. Um, you know, so you had all these perfect things kind of lining up for this card to kind of stand above the noise and be the card. Uh, everybody wanted the 89 Upper Deck, uh, Griffey, not necessarily the 89 Donruss or Score Rookie and Trade or Bowman uh, <laughs> or the Fleer or anything. Uh, you know, everybody wanted those, but not nearly as much as the Upper Deck. And come to find out, those 89 Upper Deck Griffey's simply not rare. It's just that many, 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 many people want them. Uh, it's like the iconic card of the 80s, just like the 86 Donruss Rated Rookie Canseco. Uh, those two cards, the uh, the Rick Face 89 Fleer 
uh, Billy Ripken. Uh, you know, so some of these cars from the 80s, uh, you know, they're, uh, they stand above the crowd as far as uh, being anything but a, a, you know, a value. Uh, but it's just because the attention is focused on those cards. Um, you look for an 89 Upper Deck, Craig Biggio rookie, Randy Johnson rookie, Gary Sheffield rookie, uh, John Smoltz rookie. There's a lot of a lot of great players, uh, rookie cards in the 89 Upper Deck set, but none of them just really are worth all that much. Um, so it's because all the attention is focused on Griffey. And so, you know, interestingly enough, in spite of the fact that there's probably literally millions of that 89 Upper Deck Griffey, uh, you could and check the pop reports, by the way, uh, or it's astronomical, but the uh, to get a PSA 10 A9 Upper Deck Griffey uh, rookie, uh, you're gonna have to spend uh, probably a little over $500 now, I think, uh, from the last time that I checked, which is pretty amazing to me. Uh, and you know, given the fact that there's so many of them out there, uh, and uh, another thing that's interesting is it is increasing in value, uh, so. The demand is definitely there. Now, when it comes to like an 89 Donruss Gary Sheffield or something like that, you could probably pick them up easily for, you know, a dime each or something uh, in quantity, whatever quantity you want, you know. Uh, in fact, if you uh, had enough gumption behind you, you could probably spend the rest of this year, it's the end of November now, and uh, put together a nice little thousand card run of just Gary Sheffield Ray rookie cards and uh, not be out a whole lot of money. Uh, so that's, uh, uh, I guess in a, in a nutshell, that is what, uh, the junk wax era is and why it's called that. Uh, in fact, today there'll be people that will have thousands of these cards from this era and just throw them away or donate them because they don't see any value in them. Now, obviously, uh, there are different variations and uh, and everything in, in these uh, in errors that are undocumented uh, that will have value uh, they're you know far and few between but uh, they are there and it's not to say this there isn't a market for them because there absolutely is because it's nostalgia there's nostalgia that's uh, uh, really kind of driving this if somebody wants to come in back to the hobby they're going to love A9 Upper Deck whether it's a Griffey or Sheffield or Biggio or Smoltz or whoever else is in there. They, they would love a Ramon Martinez rookie, you know, uh, because of, uh, because of nostalgia. I mean, shoot, you think about this, uh, you know, Super Mario Brothers three, uh, I think they sold like about 13 million of those, uh, of those games and it's still in demand, you know? So, and, and you know, there's not, you know, there, no single card <laughs> that I know of at least has come anywhere near is having that uh, that type of print run for a certain baseball card. So, anyways, uh, long story short, uh, junk wax is from the mid '80s to mid '90s, uh, laser focused more '88 to '92. It's called junk wax because there's a boatload of them made. Every single card virtually had millions of them printed, and a lot of people simply see them as junk, and they will throw them away. Uh, or they will donate them. So, uh, now, uh, obviously the, the tide turned uh, after the strike because baseball card companies said, we need to get these guys back. We don't have nearly as big of an audience uh, because a lot of people left uh, 
loving the sport because of the 1994 strike. And uh, so because of it, the buyers of these cards, they go, well, we're not collecting baseball cards anymore. Who cares? Uh, and another part of this, which is really interesting just for uh, you baseball card history buffs out there uh, that didn't live through it. Uh, there are a few other things that were interesting. So you have the prices that were tanking, which was upsetting the people that were investors. And you also had an insane paradigm shift in the hobby itself. You went from being able to collect every single card of your favorite player uh, to uh, not being able to because uh, shortly after, uh, I really think uh, you know the beginning of it really was uh, of the super limited cards is probably 93 for the finest. And you have some others and there were autographs of uh, Hall of Famers that were put in 91 score and upper deck and that sort of thing. But uh, as far as like a parallel, uh, like 93 finest, the refractors had a print run of 241. And then after that, it just kept going over and over again with other cards where the print runs were just extremely limited, all kinds of insert cards. And I think a lot of people left. As a matter of fact, whenever I would ask people why they left the hobby, a lot of them would say, well, there's just too much to choose from. And so the first thing that you think, uh, it's like, well, wait a second. That might that that argument might sound incredibly foreign to uh, the collector in 2019 um, because it just doesn't make sense. You simply cannot get every card nowadays. <laughs> Whereas uh, back then, if you're a collector in 1990, uh, you could walk in a card shop with 150 bucks or less. I don't know. Uh, pick up uh, a set of Bowman, Donruss, Fleer score tops upper deck yeah leaf might be a little more expensive so we probably have to put those off the side uh but you have all those and then all of a sudden whammo you have 95 to 99 percent of all of the cards that were printed for the entire year you know which is uh which is incredible um and so when you're in that mindset as a collector thinking i'm going to get everything uh that's, uh, you know, that kind of is a uh, difficult pill to swallow as uh, evidenced by a lot of people I've talked to. Just the whole reason, again, why did you get out of the hobby? Oh, because there were just too many of them out there. <laughs> well, nowadays, there are people that are in this hobby because there's a lot out there. So, here's my answer. Are we in uh, the junk wax, era, junk wax era 2.0? My answer is no. Absolutely not. Uh, there's a massive, massive, massive difference between uh, the junk wax era uh, cards and the collectors uh, of the 80s and 90s versus what there is now. So, number one, the production numbers. They're simply not anywhere near what the production numbers were back then. Uh, not even close. Now, don't get me wrong, they're they are printing a lot of them nowadays, but they do not hold the candle to the four million per card uh, that they were uh, printing up back in the early 90s. So uh, one thing that is drastically different, of course, is uh, for, let's say, 1989, you have Bowman, Fleer, Score, uh, Tops, Upper Deck. So the six main guys, and of course, you have some others as well, most Cookies, Classic, and then you have all of the uh, uh, other little grocery store and 
toy store variations, but none of them were really rare. I mean, at all. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so you have those. Nowadays, there are like uh, potentially uh, every week we show or we see a different release. And it's been this way for you know the last several years. Uh, and so everybody on the hobby just kind of hems and haws and oh man you know the the new leaf product is ugly or you know the new tops one they just need to um, stick a fork in it it's done have they do they have to come out with another tech version again Blah. or you know panini oh they all look the same oh it's terrible uh yeah oh look they uh they mistook all of the uh the relic cards uh pieces again in other cards and all that and uh, uh you know so yeah I, I get it there's a lot of uh you know, legitimate uh, uh, concerns that we as collectors should have for the cards to, of today. But on a positive note, we have a lot more different types of cards uh, to choose from. And it's not like there's just one type. So as an example, let's take a look at 91 score. You have uh, for Ricky Henderson, okay, you have like the regular card, then you have his dream team card and then you have like the cartoon all-star card i think and uh yeah i don't think he had a master blaster but in any event you had all kinds of these uh little subsets but they were none of them are rare they're all the same uh print run basically so uh you know you could pick them all up you could pick up all three four five for under a dollar and be done now let's say if you pick up uh something from tops uh, nowadays, any given release, you could have, and thanks to the parallels as well, you could have uh, potentially 10 or 15 different Ricky Hendersons in one single release. And those parallels could be extremely difficult to get your hands on. So it's no longer a matter of, I'm going to plunk a dollar down and get everything. It is okay. It's literally turned into uh, people, uh, uh, collectors, into uh, uh, people that are obsessed with trying to get these uh, one of ones out five, out ten, um, scrutinizing the quality of the patch and the signature, and you know this, that, and the other. And it's very interesting. So, uh, you know, you might have ten releases back in the day, each having one, two, or three different cards of your favorite player. Uh, which you could probably quote unquote conquer that one player for a five spot, right? Uh, nowadays, you might literally have hundreds of one player and uh, you know, still not be able to get your hands on everything because they're uh, so, uh, they have such a low print run. Uh, some of them might not be opened, uh, some of them might not ever make it to market. So there's always that hunt. And part of uh, the hobby nowadays, which is a really big deal for people, is the actual hunt itself. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, uh, it, it makes it really, really, really fun. And it makes it a lot more satisfying. I don't think there's a lot of people out there that remember pulling a, uh, you know, 1990 score, <laughs> Uh, whatever, uh, like Bo Jackson, for instance, you know, that, that's an iconic card, but I mean, you get it and it's like, okay, cool, but it's not like something you're going to hold up like they uh, held up the Lion Cub on the Lion King saying, yes, here it is, it's amazing. 
um, because it just doesn't work that way because uh, the rarity wasn't there. <laughs> and uh, so nowadays you could have hundreds of each and every player that gives you that feeling, that rush. So the, the mindset of today's collector is wildly different. You have uh, maybe a few people out there who might be delusional enough to think that they can get everything of their player. <laughs> like, uh, you know, uh, I'm looking around all awkward like right now because that was kind of me not too long ago. Uh, but uh, aside from that, everybody knows, you know, you simply can't do it, guys. Like, you can't get every one of your single player because, uh, let's say, 2019... Uh, as a matter of fact, you know what? I'm going to pause this right now. I'm going to go on to Beckett. I'm going to see uh, how many Ricky Henderson cards there are So uh, for, for this year. So uh, sit tight. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Okay. So uh, I took a look at uh, uh, the 2019 releases for Ricky Henderson. So remember, <laughs> we're going to take our time machine and go back to 1989. And uh, the Ricky Henderson count of... Uh, of cards, like for major releases anyway, probably about 20 or so. <laughs> 2019, decades after uh, the man stopped playing, he has 800 new releases. For 2019, guys, can you imagine? Now, look at the Junk Wax Collector uh, from 1989. You can imagine he'd probably get bored. He wouldn't have like this uh, feeling of uh, of having something special because there were no graded cards. There's no grading companies back then. There were no chase inserts or anything. You could get a 1980 Topps uh, Ricky Henderson. Okay. Well, guess what? Everybody else on the block does too. Now, you step into 2019 and 800 cards, like. You can guarantee yourself that uh, that there is a large number of those are one of ones. Now fives and now tens. It's difficult not to have something special of your player if you try hard enough. Uh, you could go to the world's number one uh, biggest uh, Ricky Henderson uh, super collector and you could easily get a handful of uh, Ricky Henderson, one of ones that the biggest guy would probably love. It's not difficult. So, you know, let alone everybody else that's not that biggest guy. So there's always something for the collector nowadays, uh, nowadays that they can feel like they have something special because they can have something special. Uh, that simply wasn't the case back in, uh, back in the junk wax era. Now, let me tell you something else, which is interesting. Uh, I also, for some extra credit homework here, I uh, did a search on Mike Trout. And uh, I want you to think about this. Uh, think for a few seconds how many 2019 cards Mike Trout has. It's baseball's, uh, the face of baseball right now. He has 2,360, if I remember correctly, uh, baseball cards from 2019 alone <laughs> you imagine that like he's had baseball cards for the past 10 years and uh, this guy could already potentially have uh, you know <laughs> like possibly about 20,000 different cards or something which is absolute insanity to me guys uh, 
I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing at all. Yeah, I, I understand that as collectors, we want some sort of like the card companies to kind of pull the reins in and everything, okay? And and uh, yeah, I get it. If you have one of one and uh, of Mike Trout, for instance, and they're making a thousand other one of ones that year, I understand it's not going to be nearly as... Uh, uh, as exciting to have a one of one when you're not the only one with a Mike Trout one of one. But I think what basically needs to happen here for us is we need to uh, to kind of shift our our thinking, just like we had to from the junk wax era to nowadays. Uh, so back then we had to change our thinking from got to have everything to it's impossible to have everything. Now. We've got to change our thinking uh, from, you know, one of ones must be super exclusive. Uh, they shouldn't be making so many uh, because since they are making so many, it's like making my one of ones not look so special anymore. You change that thinking to, hey, this is what the card companies do. They, uh, they exist to make money and in order to make money, they have to make more cards like this. So we just need to uh, to realize that that's just kind of the hobby that we're in right now. Uh, that same thing with autographs. I mean, you know, you hear people saying, oh, the card companies are are wrecking the, uh, uh, the autograph market. Well, it's kind of inevitable. I mean, that's what the card companies are looking for. Uh, when you take a step back and uh, let's say, uh, you know, for, for example, Sandy Koufax autographs, uh, from what I recall, I think they went for a pretty penny not too many years ago. And now you can have a, a Koufax autograph for you know, significantly less uh, simply because you, uh, you can uh, have so many more out there to choose from. And uh, that's fine. It's unfortunate for us that have, uh, you know, might have a Koufax autograph and uh, you know, from five, 10 years ago, and, and we thought we had something like really special because there's not too many of them out there. Whereas nowadays, Topps uh, has taken them and has had him sign a, a million and a half things. Um, but you gotta remember, it's not Topps' fault that that's happened. It's not Panini's fault, not Leaf's fault. This is, uh, this is the nature of the beast. Uh, baseball cards are in desire, uh, are uh, very desirable again. It's cool again to collect baseball cards, which is fantastic to see. Uh, the demand is significantly higher and it's raising uh, each year, which is great. Um, and this is a very good thing. But in order for uh, Topps, Panini, and Leaf to move the ball forward, they've got to start creating more cards. That's what they're doing. And uh, if people are excited about Sandy Koufax uh, cards and that's going to make their product sell more, guess who's going to be signing more baseball cards, Sandy Koufaxes. So, um, you know, I, I encourage you all to not get frustrated with how you see this, uh, uh, with how this is going down. There's, it's, not, it's nothing to be frustrated about. It is something perhaps for us to really kind of uh, shift our thinking in, to realize that, you know, maybe we, we don't get every Sandy Koufax autograph card. Maybe we pick just the ones that we really like. You know, maybe we enjoy uh 
Stan Koufax cards that were only that only feature uh, pictures of him as a rookie, or maybe only the uh, retro style cards that look like uh, they're his uh, refractor version of his '55 Topps card, which is his rookie, um, or maybe his 1965 Topps card. Uh, you know, maybe just from those 10 years. I mean, there's a lot of ways to collect, and we just need to make sure that we don't fall into the same problem of, oh, I've got to get it all, uh, or, you know, we also need to uh, not worry about whining so much about uh, uh, how many autographs are being pushed out these days, because again, it's just going to happen, guys. It's just going to happen, and it's going to continue. And when it stops is the reason why it would stop is most likely uh, the hobby uh, shrinking. And, you know, certainly we don't want that. Uh, we want this hobby of ours to continue to grow. Um, it's fun. It's fun seeing so many people come in back to the hobby again, especially uh, over the past five years. Also, I've heard a lot of people say like, oh, man, <laughs> you know, the hobby's dying. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, did you see the attendance in baseball games this last year? Oh, it's terrible. It's an all-time low. But, you know, guys, now the hobby is thriving. It is doing really, really well. And uh, I'm excited about it. But we do have to be flexible in our ways of thinking and, uh, you know, be, uh, be fluid with uh, how we collect. So uh, when you look at the two things, John Quaxera, uh versus the uh, what people might consider the Junk Wax Air 2.0, two wildly, wildly, wildly different things. Um, some people get confused with uh, the quantity of cards that was created back in the late 80s and early 90s with the number of releases that is happening nowadays, but two completely different things. And in many ways, as I said before, the number of releases that they have these days can be a good thing as long as we keep in consideration that we can't have everything and therefore we shouldn't try we sh we just have we could just be thankful that we have a massive variety like it's incredible it's kind of like switching from uh you know television pre uh dvr to nowadays where you can watch whatever you want at any given time we have so many more options. It's just kind of uh, going right along with the rest of society nowadays, I guess. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for where this hobby's going, especially uh, the neat thing is because we have such a rich history of baseball cards that span about 150 years. If you don't like uh, where the hobby is going, you could fully immerse yourself without even touching a single card that's been made this uh, this millennium. <laughs> you know, you could uh, you could have a niche where you only collect junk, uh, junk wax era cards, or only cards from the 70s, only from the 50s and 60s, only pre-war, only 19th century, and you could be more wildly fulfilled than you could ever imagine. So, uh, if you are displeased with how the hobby is uh, going and with how the, what the card companies are doing these days. Um, yeah, don't buy, you know, it's, it's okay. The hobby will be fine <laughs> if you, if you don't buy, uh, and let's say if, uh, if the hobby shrinks completely and, uh, you know, that's it, you know, there's no more cards for 2020. Guess what? Uh, I think that probably a lot of that money will go into vintage 
because there are an unbelievable amount of collectors and investors that are uh, that are just madly in love with vintage cards. They couldn't give a rip about what Topps Penny Early for doing uh, nowadays because it doesn't affect them. They just simply don't care. So, uh, you know, are we in the Junk Wax era 2.0 now? No, we're not. Uh, and, you know, definitively so, we're not. Uh, there's just way, way, way too many differences. Uh, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have some sort of a label or a name. And for the last three years or four years, I've been actually wanting to come up with a, a fun, slick name to talk about this uh, this era that we are in because we're definitely in something. It's it's a it's a different feel, uh, and uh, it's uh, <laughs> maybe we could have this as like uh, not the junk wax era, but the but the uh, whining wax era because there's so many people whining about everything nowadays. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what we call it. Um, probably not that. I guess. Uh, but yeah, if you have any ideas of uh, what to call this era, then yeah, let's let's hear it. You know, uh, tweet me TanmanBBFan or email me TanmanBaseballFan at gmail.com. I like a few ideas because I really do want to have some sort of a label. Uh, Junk Wax Era 2.0 just uh, it just doesn't fit. It just doesn't it doesn't fit at all, uh, no matter how hard you try. So, uh, but there's a lot of stuff, in, and don't get me wrong, I, I understand. Uh, why there could be a lot of people that would be upset about there being so many cards that are released and about how the autographs uh, could be watered down. I mean, shoot, Canseco's autographs were, uh, what, like 50, 60 bucks, like 10, 15 years ago, and now you can get some of them for five or 10 bucks. And again, maybe that's not necessarily a, a bad thing. I mean, I guess it is if you bought a boatload of 50 or 60 dollar Canseco cards, uh, Canseco autographs uh, from, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I can understand why somebody would be upset about that. Uh, but overall, how cool though. Like nowadays, anybody can afford one. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty neat. You know, and, and you also still do have the ability to have some sort of exclusivity in a low serial numbered card of his that could go for a lot of money. Uh, so, uh, and I think that's kind of really what we like to do a lot as collectors anyways, is, uh, have something that's special. I think that's really kind of in the end, what all of us are really trying to do is just have something special. Uh, PSA, SGC, BGS, BVG, uh, they've all done that for us that, that are integrated cards, um, just by, uh, allowing us to, uh, you know, and, you know, current scandals aside, of course, but uh, allowing us to feel like we have a top graded card from our childhood or something. It feels good. You know, it feels good to have like a perfect copy of anything from our childhood. And you guys, I mentioned Super Mario Brothers 3 at the beginning of this podcast. Uh, it's kind of funny because I'm actually starting to look at, at picking up some uh, nice condition uh, NES games. Because Nintendo, oh man, I love Nintendo when I was younger. Uh, and I'm starting to look at it, I'm going, huh, wondering how much a nice copy of Super Mario Brothers 1, 2, or 3 are uh, nowadays. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, I found out that, like, earlier this year, uh, a mint copy of some variation of Super Mario Brothers 1, uh, like, graded, sold for, like, over 100 grand. Like, holy smokes, that's amazing to me. But... 
a lot of it is just because the collectors in us uh, have this nostalgia uh, in us from our childhood that we want to have like a pristine copy of something from our childhood. And so uh, thankfully though, because of all of these uh, different sets that's being, that are being released nowadays, uh, we don't have to rely just on these perfect graded copies we have. Uh, just a wide array. Like I said, if you're a Ricky Henderson collector, you have 800 new cards to choose from uh, for a 2019 loan. Mike Trout, you have 2,360 or whatever it was. Uh, so, you know, I think maybe the junk wax era collectors probably got frustrated and flat out bored. Maybe they just got bored with the cards that were being put out. Uh, okay, yay. 1991 is going to show like 10 new cards. Okay, big whoop. Uh, nowadays, it's like literally impossible to get bored. Um, you get stressed out. You get anxiety uh, for having, uh, you know, so many to track down, especially if you're trying to complete a rainbow or something. And the last card you need is that card that's one of one or out of five. And, you know, the uh, you see it for sale and it's like an astronomical price. And Basically, you come to the realization that your rainbow is not getting completed unless you pay for that, you know, pay that price. Uh, you know, yeah, people can get anxious or frustrated or that sort of thing, but you simply cannot get, like it's impossible to get bored if you love baseball cards with what they offer uh, nowadays because there's just so many things that they're offering. Um, so anyways, I don't know. So those are my thoughts, uh, you know, whether they're, right or not i don't know i i think they're right they're my opinion at the very least um so i would love to hear what your thoughts are though uh you know again uh, feel free to tweet me at tanmanbbfan or email tanmanbaseballfan at gmail.com let us hear it and don't forget to show me uh the card that you're thankful for uh or cards all right we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up for tonight uh thank you all for listening have a great evening and please do not forget to like, subscribe, and share this podcast. Take care.